You can support the Historian's Podcast by making a donation to our GoFundMe campaign. The GoFundMe link is on our website, bobcudmore.com, along with an explanation of how to donate by mail. Thank you. Hi, I'm Bill Buell. I'm the Schenectady County Historian. Uh, I was appointed in May of 2019, the day after I retired from a 41-year career of journalism at the Daily Gazette in Schenectady. Uh, I'm here today to talk about Schenectady in the 1920s. It was uh, just an incredible decade. So much going on in the world at that time, and there was an awful lot going on in Schenectady as well. Well, Schenectady certainly was uh, a place where there was a lot uh, going on, Bill Buell. By the way, this is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest is uh, County Historian Bill Buell uh, from uh, Schenectady. He is uh, the county historian. There's a county historian, and then a gentleman named Chris Leonard is the city historian. You've got uh, quite quite a a group of uh, history people in Schenectady. Yeah, between the two of us, we uh, cover it pretty well, I think. All right, let's go back to the uh, 1920s. As soon as I heard this as the topic, I said, well, yes, of course. Uh, This is when General Electric is booming, and all kinds of uh, important scientists have come to live and work in, in Schenectady, like Charles Steinmetz. Uh, and so I guess, well, let's start with the hotel. They decided they needed a hotel. And and uh, did they build the Hotel Van Curler? Yep, they built the um, Hotel Van Curler. It opened in uh, May of 1925. That's when uh, GE was you know, had 25,000 to 30,000 employees. American Locomotive Company had about 10,000 to 15,000 at that point. So things are going, and people are coming in disconnectedy to, to do business. And we had some fine hotels, but we didn't have, uh, I don't know, a, a Class A hotel. So they wanted to build a new one. They built it right by the Western Gateway Bridge, which is another big event that happens in the 1920s. But it was definitely something Schenectady needed and become a first-class city. That building, not the hotel, but that building is still there. It's now home to Schenectady County Community College, or I should probably say SUNY Schenectady. They've changed the name uh, since I started going to school there way back when. It's a great old building. It's a great building for classrooms. It became the college in 1969, I want to say, off the top of my head. But... It had a great 40-, 45-year career serving Schenectady. Uh, uh, some famous people stayed there, as did Ronald Reagan, but well before he was president, doing commercials for General Electric. Uh, so it's got a great history. It's a great old building, and it's doing great right now as a home to the uh, college. And you mentioned uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, didn't he come to Schenectady because he, uh, I mean, they sponsored his uh, one of his television shows, right? And so he'd do the, sometimes do the ads here, or maybe he only did it once. I think he, he might have come more than once. He did um, commercials for GE Appliances at some point. But, yeah, the, the, I think the main reason or the primary cause for him being here was um, he had a show that was on uh, NBC, I want to say. They were just doing promos for that. 
And, you know, everything kind of, I guess that's what impressed me about Schenectady in the 20s. Everything sort of fit together. I mean, GE is growing. The uh, radio station, WGY, uh, one of the pioneer radio stations in America, is also booming, or it's uh, you know kind of the modern w- uh, wonder. Eventually, there'll be a television station attached. But in looking into the history of WGY, you f- frequently run across uh, they're having some sort of big event, and of course, the big events held at the Hotel Van Curler. It was um, on February twentieth, nineteen twenty-two, at seven forty-seven p.m. Announcer Colin Hager announces to the world, this is station WGY, the first radio station in New York. And what he said was he explained that the W is for wireless, the G is for General Electric, and Y is for the last letter in Schenectady, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, and how he phrased it was, the last letter in our city. So 1925, we've got Hotel Van Curler, but another Schenectady institution, and I'm happy to say that's still with us, is Proctor's Theater. And for some reason, that surprised me. I thought Proctor's Theater would have been older than that, but it was also built in the uh, 1920s? Proctor's, the one that we know of now as Proctor's at 400 block there on State Street, was opened on December 27, 1926. Now, uh, FF Proctor had a theater in Schenectady before that, back around 1910 or 1911, I want to say, uh, over by the Wedgway building where the State Theater was. If you remember uh, that major mm-hmm. intersection there, Erie Boulevard and State Street, there was a Proctor's Theater, theater over there, kind of almost next to Liberty Street. And that was uh, an elegant theater as well. But he realizes that Schenectady is a growing city, uh, so he wants to build a new, bigger theater. And, and Proctor was a vaudeville character. He was into the theater, and he had seven or eight Nice theaters. Uh, he had there was one in Troy. There's one in down in New York City. He had four or five more around the Northeast. So a uh, very successful theater manager, as well as being a performer in his early days. And that's Proctor you're speaking of. F.F. Right? Proctor. Yep, Frederick uh, Frederick Francis, uh, something like that. F.F. is how we called him. Do you know? If, did he live in Schenectady? Nope. Uh, I'm not sure how often he was here. I, I, I don't get the impression that he was here much at all. I think he lived down in New York. He did. He had a lot of business interests around the you know eastern half of the country. So the, to the best of my knowledge, I don't believe he ever lived in Schenectady. And I get the impression that he wasn't really here that much as well. You also mentioned uh, in your opening uh, the Hotel Van Curler the Proctor's Theater, and the Western Gateway Bridge, which I uh, drive upon frequently because I live in the suburb of Glenville, and it's where, which is where you're raised, you're born, I guess. But uh, tell us about the Western Gateway Bridge. It's certainly not the first bridge that was put uh, in between Schenectady and Scotia. We had the Burr Bridge, which uh, if you walk down Washington Avenue uh, through the stockade and walk down to the Mohawk River, you'll see the remnants of the bridge that went across the river into Scotia, 
down by, um, if you go down uh, Washington Street in Scotia, it goes along the river and it takes a sharp left uh, down a ways from Freedom Park and Jumping Jacks. And that's where the Burr Bridge used to go. You still end up over there. But mm. they obviously need a new bridge. That thing was pretty old. I think uh, Theodore Burr, who was Aaron Burr's cousin or brother, he was the builder of the first one. So by 19, the 1920s, they realized, especially with automobiles, uh, that kind of traffic, they, they knew they needed a bigger, better, safer bridge. They came up with the Western Gateway Bridge, had a horrible accident. Uh, 1923, four men were killed building the final span of the bridge, but um, they got past that. They they finished it, and I think it opened in 1925 as well. Um, yeah, December mm-hmm. 19th, 1925, the Western Gateway Bridge is open. As long as I've been al- alive or can remember, there's been this Western Gateway Bridge disconnected, but didn't they change it or ch- there had been a curve in it or something that they took out at some point in a more recent day, or am I barking up the wrong tree here? Oh, you and I are old enough to remember the old, the old new bridge, if I can put it that way. There was a, there was a good turn to the right. In, in the 1970s, they changed that and created another new Western Gateway Bridge that was much straighter. This is really a, a link to the to the west. I mean, in the old days, before there was a throughway, let's say, people had to go this way if they were going to go to, let's say, Amsterdam or Utica or Syracuse or Buffalo. That was like the western turnpike, they called it. If you didn't take the Erie Canal, then you took what was now Route 5 or on the other side of the river, Route 5S. Those were two major thoroughfares westward. Uh, we're talking to Bill Buell. He is county historian in Schenectady County and retired uh, from the Daily Gazette as a newspaper reporter, although you continue to write a lot, um, Bill. You you write all the time now. I do a, uh, well, I do a tennis, I do a racket sports column once a month. And then Chris Leonard and I, the city historian, we alternate writing a history column once a month. So uh, I did um, November, he's doing December, I'll do January, so on and so forth. So that's fun. It's fun working with Chris. He's a good guy. Um, And then I occasionally do um, feature stories for the regular section of the newspaper. I'll do a lot of local theater. You know, maybe I did the story on hairspray coming to Proctor's. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'll do maybe two or three, three or four stories a month for the Gazette, along with uh, my two uh, regular columns that I do. And when you started with the, the Gazette, you were in, you were a sports reporter, right? Oh, no, I think I can't remember that far back, Bob, but yes, <laughs> 1978. I did a little work there earlier because my father was the assistant sports editor. So I was, um, I started working for the Gazette as a paper boy. And then I uh, would go in on Friday nights and answer the phone while I was in high school on those busy basketball nights. So I, I have a long history at the Gazette that actually goes back beyond when I officially started in 1978. You realize about your dad? He was the assistant sports editor. Who was he? Also, Bill Buell. 
He was Hal Buell. He was born on Garner Avenue. Uh, yeah, actually, he was born in Albany, sorry. They moved to Garner Avenue in Schenectady when he was a very young boy. I live about maybe 500 yards from the house he grew up in right now uh, on Garner Avenue, so that's kind of neat. Uh, he was an outstanding baseball player, uh, kind of got waylaid by the World War II, came back to Schenectady, played a little baseball, uh, but then got a job writing sports for the Union Star, our uh, newspaper, which is now defunct. Uh, he worked there from 46 to 60, and then he worked at the Gazette uh, full-time from 60 to 82 or 84, I want to say. And then he worked part-time for a couple of years. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, he wrote a bowling column. He covered the Schenectady Blue Jays when they were in the Eastern League. So he was a well-known guy around Schenectady, that's for sure. Yeah, and you came from Glenville. You lived in Glenville as a child? Right. I grew up on Hetzeltown Road. I lived in, we used to call it East Glenville. I don't know if people still use that term, but we had a Scotia mailing address, and I went to Burn Hills Boston Lake School District. So I was pretty confused when I was five year old and five years old, and people asked me where I lived. I didn't know if I should say Burnhill, Scotia, or Glenville. Ah, well, you did all three, and you uh, went to college locally, right? The community college and state university at Albany. Um, let me correct myself again. SUNY's Schenectady, and then I went to the University at Albany and got my history degree there. That was, uh, I went part-time. It took me a while, but I finally uh, got through it. I was working at the Gazette full-time, you know, during that period. So I was a busy young lad, but I managed to get through it and, and get my degree. And I always had planned on just going to uh, grad school and getting my master's and maybe getting into teaching. I had switched from sports to features, and I enjoyed that so much. I said, well, I think I'm done with my education. I just want to write feature stories. And so I had that opportunity to move from sports to features and news in like 2000. Uh, so I took that opportunity, and it was great. Well, it does sound interesting to me, I mean, as a, as a job, that what you ended up doing. Because you write about, oh, I don't know, I, I was just looking at the recent list of what you've written for the Gazette. You did a profile of David Petruja, who writes about presidential uh, politics. You talk with this actor whose performance, a retired Schenectady teacher returns to the stage. And then the hairspray story you did. Uh, and also you do a story about how Clifton Park has a resident who's been bitten by the pickleball bug. So you do, do you come up with these topics, or do, do the, does the Gazette assign you or both? Yeah, I get things thrown at me, but most of the time you're coming up with your own story ideas. I mean, there are some things, you know, obviously you're supposed to do, like when Proctor's, when I was working full-time, I was the Proctor's guy, and if anybody was coming to Proctor's, it would 99% of the time it would be me interviewing them on the phone, perhaps in person, but mostly on the phone in advance of their performance, which allowed me to have some great fun. I mean, I talked to Pete Seeger on the phone for 55 minutes. He was absolutely wonderful before he 
did one of his last shows. It was his last show at Proctor's. I want to say like a year or two before he died. But that was a great thrill. I got to speak to Carol Burnett. I interviewed her on the phone, Hal Holbrook, uh, some wonderful people. So, you, you know, you get a great opportunity when you become a newspaper man. And when uh, you work in features, uh, you really get to meet and talk to some outstanding people. And I never had a bad experience with one of them, except for Hal Holbrook. He got, he roughed me up a little bit because I I asked him what he was doing after World War II, and he said, well, Mr. Buell, if you had read my bio, you would have known that I was here or there. And, and so I, I recovered quickly. I said, well, I meant, where was your head at, Hal? I mean, did you know what you wanted to do with yourself? And then we were fine. But most of these people, you know, they're smart people. They know you're a newspaper man, and they know the questions you're going to ask and they're ready for him most of the time yeah it was it was great fun i talked to sophia loren that was kind of neat so yeah you do get some great opportunities and maybe now is the time to see if if you'll buy into the uh i i'm an old media person myself radio done some newspapers and old television and we get together uh the veterans for lunch and every so often and we're always lamenting, oh, it's not like it used to be. It's not like it. Is it like it used to be? Do young people today have this advantage of being able to interview everybody from Hal Holbrook to Pete Seeger, or are those days gone? Yeah, well, pretty much. Um, you know, COVID kind of slowed things down, but, you know, it's still the same uh, for the most part. Things are different in the sense that, uh, you know, when I was – Working at the Gazette in, I don't know, maybe 2005, you know, we had 25 people in the newsroom. And now you go in there and there's five or six. You're not working with all, all the tools that we had 10, 15 years ago. So, uh, and as you know, the newspaper business has been hurt. Papers have folded across the country. Uh, hopefully the ones that are still around are pretty strong. I know the Gazette's not going anywhere right away that's for sure um so it is a different world and mm -hmm. and at the gazette i mean 10 years ago 15 years ago i would go into the berkshires two or three times a summer i'd do a story on the williamstown theater festival i'd do a story on shakespeare and company and lennox mm -hmm. uh, those kind of stories aren't done anymore for the most part by our newspaper we've kind of our boundaries have kind of come in come back towards the county more now sometimes we won't even go across the hudson river uh, unless it's of particular interest to our readers well another point in the uh, interest of full disclosure i do a regular column uh, for the daily gazette in other words they pay me so but i've enjoyed working uh, for them and it's a local newspaper and that's that's pretty unusual it's, you know it's got local ownership still i think yeah we're independent um in fact now we also own the amsterdam recorder and the glover's a little leader herald so our poor staff that are working there at night actually getting out the paper are, are getting out three papers with fewer people than uh, they used to do with the, with one newspaper so you know, it, it's hurt things, but the Gazette's still an important part of our community, and it does some great 
things. We have wonderful young journalists that I walk in there these days and I see these 25-year-old um, people, 30-year-old people who are just so conscientious and, and so hardworking and and good writers. It it it, uh, it just makes you feel good about the future because <laughs> the newspapers will be here for a while, I think. Bill Buell is with us, Schenectady County historian. We're talking with him about Schenectady uh, in the 1920s. Um, let me uh, ask you about science. You've done articles on some of the GE uh, scientists of the day. To me, the most in- interesting one is Charles Steinmetz. So can you tell us a bit about Steinmetz? Yeah, he's one of my favorite characters, Uh uh, along with being a genius, the Wizard of Schenectady, he was referred to. He was nearly as well known as Babe Ruth uh, back in that day. Um, just a a wonderful man, and like I said, along with being a genius, he was really civic-minded. He helped our socialist mayor, George Lund, create Central Park um, during that period, the first two decades of the 1900s. They created, uh, you know, made probably 10 new schools in the city for all these immigrant children that were flooding into Schenectady to work for GE and Alco. And he also, he comes to Schenectady in 1894 and works there, um, dies in 1923. He's the reason so many other prominent GE scientists, guys that went on to become prominent GE scientists, came to Schenectady. They wanted to work with Steinmetz. Um, he didn't invent the light bulb, um, but he made electricity a lot easier for us to use. He made it more accessible to the world. Um, so, like I said, he's just a, a genius, but also a very well-intended, decent human being, and a very popular guy around Schenectady. He's the reason Alex Anderson, the guy who basically invents the TV, uh, he's the reason he came to Schenectady mm-hmm. to work with Steinmetz. So he's a very popular man. And you mentioned just in passing George Lunn, and and you've mentioned maybe his claim to fame. He was the socialist mayor of Schenectady. How did? Uh, and it wasn't just the mayor who was a socialist. I guess Steinmetz was a socialist. Uh, and uh, how did they have an impact in the 1920s in Schenectady? Steinmetz had been, um, well, he decided, Steinmetz decided he needed to leave Europe because he was uh, a socialist. So that's why he comes to America. He w- was very inactive um, those first 10, 15 years in this country. But then when Lund is elected as a socialist in 1911, uh, Steinmetz uh, says, hey, I want to help. What can I do? So the two of them became a really good working team. Uh, Schenectady had a bunch of staunch socialists uh, during the first two decades of uh, the 20th century. It kind of dies out after, um, you know, the Russian Revolution. Uh, Socialism doesn't really look that good to the world uh, with some of the things that went on in Russia during that time. But the uh, people, there were a, a strong socialist component uh, through the 1920s and into the 30s. 
uh, and then it really kind of leaves uh, just prior to World War II. Mm -hmm. How did it make Schenectady different if it did uh, than, I don't know, Peoria? Of course, maybe I picked a city that also was socialist. I don't know. No, it's weird how um, you go back like Gloversville, Amsterdam, they had strong socialist pockets. Albany, not so much. Troy had a, a Troy was somewhere in between. Um, but Schenectady, probably because of the, all the immig Eastern European immigrants flooding into the city uh, during the first two decades of the 20th century, because they were kind of exposed to socialism in Europe. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't inherently a bad word to them like it is now today and was back then to some people. Yeah, there's Charles Noonan, Holly Van Vechten. These are great uh, socialist names from Schenectady's past. Lund does become a Democrat. I should point that out. He um, he says he never changed his values or way of thinking, but that the rest of the country kind of eventually, you know, came to the left uh, like he had. Uh, in 1945 or 43, I guess, he was interviewed by the Albany paper, and he said um, all the things that were working then in the 30s and the 40s are things he argued for, social programs, uh, back in the 19-teens when he was a socialist. So he, he always felt like he didn't change much at all. It's the world around him that changed. We're talking with Bill Buell, who is Schenectady County historian. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, Schenectady County history activities uh, we already established Chris Leonard's the city historian. There's a very uh, active uh, and I dare say prosperous uh, Schenectady uh, County Historic Historical Society. Is that the correct title for it? Schenectady County Historical Society has been there since 1905. Um, they are a great partner with me and Chris. We do a lot of stuff with them. We're not technically connected. Some of my friends would, would joke that, so are you the director of the Historical Society now? And I'd have to explain to them, no, I just I volunteer there. I'm a docent, but, but I'm not in charge. It's just a, an emotional connection because I've been volunteering there for like 20 years now. It's a great place. They have a wonderful um, old house on, on Washington Avenue in the stockade. They have an absolutely wonderful library. People can go in there, research local history, family genealogy, and we have a nice little museum with uh, wonderful exhibits. So have you ever been pulled away from Schenectady? Which can you consider uh, taking your stuff and going elsewhere with it? Let's see. Well, I went to California to seek my fame and fortune back in 1973, Bob. Uh, it didn't quite work out uh that well <laughs> it was a great time and a great experience but i came back home and decided to find a good job and go back to school so uh i've had i love schenectady my wife and i live in a nice little home in a in a nice part of the town we have uh, i've had no reason to really want to go anyplace else or live anyplace else and certainly there's a, a great um history if you will to a covering history in Schenectady. I, I guess one name I just want to work in before we're, we're gone, and that's uh, Larry Hart, who also was connected to the Daily Gazette, and all, but was uh, a Schenectady historian. 
Right. Like my father, he served in World War II. Um, he did a lot of photography work. Uh, he came back from the war. He was uh, hired by the Union Star as well. At some point, he came to the Gazette, like my father did, uh, became a reporter, just a great newsman and a very nice man. Got to know him pretty well. He uh, he knew so much. He wrote so many books about Schenectady. I mean, I, I shudder when I think of what my job would be like if he hadn't been in this position 30, 40 years ago. You know, he so much information is at my fingertips now because of Larry Hart. Everybody that came after him owes a huge debt of gratitude to Mr. Hart. And and I'm, I'm happy to say that he was a great guy, too. County historian from Schenectady, Bill Buell. Uh, thanks for joining us talking about Schenectady in the 1920s. Always a pleasure uh, talking with you. Thank you, Bob. It's great to talk to you, too. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cutmore.